You're listening to Lost and Sound, a podcast exploring music, identity, and the future. believe that one of the best ways we come together is through music and through this series I'm looking at how music can and is bringing us together now and in the future. From my base in Berlin we'll be meeting artists from a range of disciplines from all across the world who are drawing on music right now, some already exploring new ways of doing this. Hey, how you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're well. Um, I'm back. So yes, I took a I had to take a week off last week. Um, I was in the unbelievably gratitude-filled position to have got the first jab, my first jab. Um, something I totally don't take for granted. I got an AstraZeneca jab, but it fucking knocked me out. I was like proper out of the picture for about five days i was just like oh my god what is happening to me um but yes i say that really really with huge respect and full awareness of of the privilege of being in a position to have be in a place where that is is an availability to a certain degree um i also moved yes i moved um so hence i'm not by the canal in Kreuzberg today. I'm not that far from there. I'm probably about um, a good nighttime stumble or a 15-minute cycle ride. I'm in Tempelhofferfeld, the huge former airfield, now park. I'm in an allotment. It's beautiful. It's a public allotment. There's people around. It's sunny. It's summer. It's fucking summer. And there's people planting. There's people like sort of sat on little benches working on laptops. There's people reading. There's people cycling. There's birds flying around. There's lots of insects. Insects are back. That means that flies are going to be back. That means I better remember to uh, cover my food. Otherwise, I'm going to get flies in my croissants. And that's never very nice. But today on the show, we have Jim O'Reilly. Rourke. Yes, Jim O'Rourke, the, I think, legendary, certainly iconoclastic, whatever those words mean, producer, musician, all-round polymath. Um, I want to be upfront that this interview was originally done and it's originally available as part of um, a project I've been working on with the synthesizer company Playtronica, um, which is actually out now and i just want to be clear about that so it's, it's a piece of work i'm very proud of it's a i may be making a podcast series with them exploring the connection between sound and vision and speaking with artists about their relationship with the two these two sorts of interconnected worlds but i'm also aware that you know i'm not itv i'm not amazon i'm not like into doing loads and loads and loads of advertising and cross promotion but this is all my work and um i wanted to just kind of be clear that there is that little bit of an aspect so please do check it out but also you know there is that sort of slight cross promotional kind of vibe going on there but yeah the first episode of seeing sound is out now uh, there's going to be a link you know i'll put a link in um into the description type thing but anyway, yes, the interview uh, was originally for that, and it originally appears in the first episode of Seeing Sound, but we got into a really long conversation about lots of different things, and we went into different realms, that the, the sort of the realm that I was asking him specifically about for um, Seeing Sound, uh, we kind of just really expanded out of that, um, so it just felt really right and listening and editing it today it just feels really right to put it out as a lost and sound 
as well, like the full long version. Um, but yes, Jim O'Rourke. Where do you start with Jim O'Rourke coming through the Chicago experimental scene, producing everyone from Stereolab to Joanna Newsom to Wilco to Superchunk to Smog to Beth Orton, the list goes on. One-time member of Sonic Youth. That'll be this, this is the second member of Sonic Youth that's been on Lost and Sound now. I think for me, my closest personal relationship with his music is 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 the four albums that he made that kind of connected to Nicholas Roeg films um, in in title thereabouts, and with particular reference Eureka, the album Eureka, and it's it's for someone who's like mostly known as an experimental kind of improvisatory kind of musician, particularly at the time, he met this beautiful, sumptuous Burt Bacharach-influenced, melancholic, s- cinematic piece of music that this was this album with, particularly with the song Women of the World, Women of the World Take Over. It's just haunting and the sentiment, obviously, I totally and utterly agree with um so we had this chat back in february and there's a little bit of like you know it's summer now and we're talking a little bit about snow at the time and obviously the situation in the world changes all of the time um but yes this is what happened this is what happened when i caught up with jim o'rourke hi how are you doing i'm I'm good it's it's been snowing in berlin for about a week so it's it's really it's like about minus six um how are you doing oh goodness oh it's uh, it's actually not that bad here at all uh you mean weather wise um just well (laughs) whichever whichever is more in your mind at the moment i guess (laughs) uh well, I I don't I I live up in the mountains, so mm. <laughs> uh, uh, I I probably wouldn't even know what was going on if I didn't watch the news. <laughs> wow! Uh, uh, but uh, I guess it's fine, you know. I I can't complain. <laughs> That's good. How, how, so you, when you say you live in the mountains, do you mean that it's like are you surrounded by nature and you're not in a city? Yeah. Yeah. I live I live uh, about uh 1400 meters up. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Uh not uh, it's not it's not near Mount Fuji, but I can see it out my window. So it's <laughs> I'm about actually about an hour away from Mount Fuji really, but it's like it's that part of the of Japan where it basically turns into mountains like between Tokyo and uh, Nagoya Kyoto and all that the kind of mountain I guess the, it's the version it's the the Alps of Japan wow uh, and what was the um initial attraction for you to to moving um to Japan and also somewhere so kind of mountainous well Japan I I wanted to move to Japan since a long time before i did move actually uh like i started coming to japan around 93 mm. and uh pretty much came two or three times a year until i moved in like 2015 or so mm. uh and then leaving the city i enjoyed living in tokyo it's not that i didn't but i mean it was changing uh, the Olymp and this is like maybe four or five years ago. I knew what the Olympics coming was going to do. Um, I mean, it was already starting five years ago, kind of mm. wiping out things about <laughs> things that still existed in Tokyo from other times mm. uh, were slowly disappearing, and uh, more and more what I what I wanted to do with work had nothing to do with being in a city. And in a way, it was only getting in the way, only causing situations where, you know, <clears throat> where they were taking up my time and and distracting. And uh, and the area that I moved was actually someplace I was going to a lot during that time because of a studio that was out here mm. that was uh, kind of a private studio, but it was run by an older friend of mine. 
and I would come out here for three or four weeks at a time to work because because <laughs> mm. it was it was basically because it was free because it was my friend's place mm. and because uh, a lot of the things you know in studios in Tokyo are I mean usually if I'm most stuff I can just do at home but if I wanted to record large groups of people you have to go to a studio so I was spending more and more time out here anyway and uh, it just made sense. At that yeah. point, with all of my, and <laughs> since I've moved out here, I, I haven't. I don't think I've recorded anything there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the irony. Not, I mean, I, I I still see him all the time. I still go there all the time. But uh, uh, yeah, I just don't. I haven't done anything of that nature in quite a few years. So, but uh, and also, you know, I was I was entering my fifties, and it was it was a. Uh, it just felt like it was time to concentrate on what I want to do and not be, you know, wasting any time on anything else, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in my late 40s and I'm still very much drawn to living in, in kind of urban cultural environments. But I think the older I get, I start to notice there are things that are just always unavoidable, like noisy neighbours or or pollution and and things like that definitely yeah yeah i mean tokyo isn't that bad for that but uh i mean there's still things i miss about tokyo but it's really just like food probably mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh gosh yeah yeah and i think i've always been attracted to the way that you draw on like film references um, mm-hmm. And also the way um, that you've actually you've done film scores as well, you know, and yeah, and that you're a guitarist, but you you know, or you one of the things you do is play guitar and sometimes loudly, but you don't, you're not like a rock dude, <laughs> which is kind no. of I think visually quite interesting, you know, um, and, and, and I don't play guitar anymore. <laughs> really, is that gone? Yeah, now? I, right. yeah, I sold them all about it uh, about a yeah. I, Pretty much stop. I'm not saying that uh, as a contradiction to what you just said. I just, mm. it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, about two years ago or so. Oh my gosh. So was yeah. it something you just felt you had enough of? Oh, I just, I've never enjoyed playing guitar. So oh. <laughs> I just, enough. <laughs> I just didn't, and I hadn't touched it in like a year. Well, basically, you know, a lot of times when I'd have to play, especially in the last 10 years, this is someone would ask me to play on something or if friends were coming from overseas and like improvisers and stuff and, you know, like, oh, let's play. And otherwise I wasn't touching it at all. So it was, it was just taking, they were just taking up space. So I just sold them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, did but you I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to deet. I didn't mean to make a detour. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I love a detour. I, I think like there's certain things it's good to kind of nail a little bit. Then I just prefer, apart from that, I just prefer kind of conversations that just go where they want to go. So that's, that's all good. So thank you for that. It's really interesting, though. So did you find, so you're saying you never really liked guitar. Did you find yourself, what, why did you start playing guitar? It was, well, when I was younger, it was the only instrument I was halfway decent at. Mm. Um, I wasn't very good on the piano. And then playing guitar led to playing bass just by by proxy because like in high school there would be like three guitar players and no one would want to play bass you know mm, yeah <laughs> so and so i would i would get put on bass or whatever so it just kind of went that way i was never interested in necessarily guitar centric music mm. or anything it's just uh it was the instrument I could most quickly get out the the idea. I mean, I wish I could play piano better, but uh, but I don't. So uh, otherwise, I would have played a piano, you know, but uh, or pedal steel or something like that. Those mm-hmm. instruments I like better, but I'm just not as good on them, unfortunately. So yeah, it seemed to be the only instrument I could sort of get. Um, somewhat okay on. (laughs) So and and you know it just kind of unfortunately went that way. I mean simultaneously, I mean I was always it was always about working with tape machines and that stuff. I mean that was always in them. That's been from from the at the the same time that I 
started guitar and that's that's been continuous that that never stopped but that's like you know that's not something you do on stage in front of people you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> unless you're stockhausen yeah and, and and until the laptops started showing up in the end of the 90s <laughs> yeah <laughs> were you quite quick to embrace using laptops as well oh yeah oh yeah i mean i i was i started using them i think around on stage around 96 or 97 the first one was like a 520C. And at first, you know, people would get really angry. I think until about like 99 or 2000, when it started getting really normal. Like, because I think until the Pismos, uh, you know, you would find this stuff like in academic circles, you know, uh, and, mm. you know, on, on uh, but like at a rock club, playing a laptop at a rap, uh, you know, at a rock club, it would, uh, you know, it really, really, actually really piss people off. Uh, to the point of like getting punched, you know, uh, at, a, at, at a, in, where was it? It was in Austria. I forget. But anyway, but yeah, at the beginning, it was very unusual. I mean, I remember I did a tour with Oval in the States, maybe sometime in the late nineties, just the two of us. And he had a, he had a, he had a laptop and I had a laptop and well, I also had a guitar, but you know, people were really, you know, it's like the kind of the usual thing is like, that's not an instrument, blah, 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 you know? So, yeah. so yeah, and I was, I was really into computers from a li as a little kid. Uh, I mean, at first I wanted to get into, to be a computer programmer, but uh, I'm, I'm too slow with the math to be a good programmer, like, a, like a, as a, as a profession. Because uh, I would I would need an extra half day than anyone else, <laughs> but yeah, I I got I had my first computer. Oh man, I think when I was twelve, right. I worked. I yeah, I worked at a uh, a potentiometer. Uh, twelve or thirteen, probably thirteen. I worked at a potentiometer factory after school every day. Uh, changing acid and, and uh, cleaning off the uh, uh, dye and tool machines to pay for a Texas instrument computer. <laughs> wow. That sounds, that sounds quite a kind of high risk way for a 13 year old to be um, saving up for a computer. Well, you know, I, you know, <laughs> my, my, my good, good Irish immigrant parents, you know, they, 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 they had to work from when they were seven. So you know, uh, <laughs> uh, waiting until you're 13 to work was probably like, I, I probably seemed like a slouch to them. So. <laughs> right. That's kind of really interesting you say that because like, you know, you, you know, I mean, you're, you're incredibly, at least it seems to me into the outside world, an incredibly prolific artist. Um, did you, is, is that sort of, I mean, I might be wrong in this, but has is, is that come, I might be wrong in you even being prolific because for all I know, you might, I've, I've spoken with artists and they've said, well, actually, I'm not. It just seems that way. Um, but like, do you think like there's been a work, that sort of work has been sort of ethic has been instilled in you from your family? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, you, you, you didn't get anything for free. You know, if I wanted something I had, I mean, not that my parents weren't, you know, generous, you know, they were, but they were, you know, they were. You know, my dad dug holes for the the gas company, and my mom was a house cleaner. So, I mean, they gave what they could, but like, you know, if I wanted a computer or or something, you know, I had to I had to go out and work to mm. get it. And uh, you know, it's the it's the Irish thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and there's, like there's, your... a, there's a oh, lot to, and you know, I'm I'm like what they. You know, I'm from the south of Ireland. I, you know, I'm like the black-haired Irish. I'm not the like the, the, uh, the, uh, like, you know, you know how like in Italy, there's northern Italy and southern Italy, and yeah, you know, there, there is the same thing in Ireland too. You know, there's there's the red-haired, fair-skinned Irish, and then there's mm. basically the Irish that got mixed up with the Moors or. Uh, oh you wow! Know, yeah, you know. and 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 the Scottish actually, if I understand yeah. it correctly, um, so. There's that as well. I think I think the mindset is different. The culture is different. 
So this is quite. So you say the south south of um, south of Ireland. What what kind of what what was like the nearest big town for your family? Oh well, my mom came from Castle Island, which was a church and three pubs mm. uh, <laughs> and a news agent, of course. Yeah. But not they were they weren't they weren't from they were they were both orphans, so they they weren't from like they weren't they didn't live in a city as children either. They both mm. uh, lived in orphanages, and I don't. I actually don't know where my dad was. It's a bit of a you know, as things like that were in Ireland at that time. It's a little bit of a mystery, you know. It's not a lot of stuff wasn't written down, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for saying about that. Um, yeah, we. I mean, so with with. Um, I mean, I first came to your work with Eureka. Basically, that was the first oh, I remember getting when it came out. And um, and what was the idea about uh, releasing a series of albums? I know you've probably been asked this a million times. Um, based on well, named after Nicholas Roeg films. Well, I don't. I didn't make a decision to to make a series of records. I mean, after I decided to name the first one Eureka, mm. I probably just wanted there to be a through line that connected them. I mean, it would obviously they're connected because those are the only records that I've done that are like that, but I wanted to be a very specific like th- through line between them to show that they are connected and, you should also go back to go, you know, it isn't just one is coming after the other, that they're all part of one thing. Mm. And, and that's why specifically the, the last one of that group, I named the visitor because that's actually the name of the record that the character makes at the end of his journey in the, uh, man who fell to earth. So, I mean, it ends there, you know, it's like, so it's kind of purposely used, you know, the sort of Nicholas Rogue connection to like put a punctuation point on it as well. <laughs> and I like the fact that, you know, that the first three are all named specifically after, you know, they're named up the names of films. And then the- oh, that's right. Bad time. Bad timing came for us. Not Eureka. Bad timing. Right, 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 right. Mm. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Bad timing. Right. Which was sort of, sort of, I kind of like, something to amuse myself because I didn't think I had, you know, it's like my finger picking was a bit, uh, uh, non, I, I, I tended to not stick with a, a a strict tempo, which I think is a good thing, but, Mm. uh, someone, someone's told me I had bad timing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so did it start out then? So immediately it wasn't initially a Nicholas Rorig reference. It was that. And then, well, it it wasn't, it wasn't that. And then Mm. it wasn't like they said that. And, and I said, Oh, that I'm going to use that for, it's just, it kind of things, things sort of happened in a, in a relatively close period. Mm. And, And was there something in the films as well that, um, that you found a connection with visually to the music? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, no. No. I mean, I don't no, get that I, sense when I mean, from listening. I, I mean, I, I, I obviously liked his films, mm. and I had liked them way before I'd, start, I'd made those records. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a one-to-one sort of like, you know, oh, the editing and bad timing is informing the way I'm going to make these arrangements. It's, it wasn't anything like that. Um, and like when you've done film work as well yourself, um, uh, I mean, is there like, a, um, say, say for example, with Werner Herzog, how, how did that collaboration come about? Well, that was because of Henry Kaiser, who was the uh, music director for the, for the score. And Henry's uh, was, is, uh, well, he was one of my heroes when I was growing up, and then became kind of my my, my mentor mm. in in the in the like in 1990 when I met him at uh, 
Derek Bailey's company week. And he sort of took me, I mean, I was, I think, 21 or 22 then. And that in that sort of world of improvised music then, there wasn't really a lot of people my age involved. Uh, it was like, there was the, like Derek Bailey's generation and the next generation was like Henry Kaiser and John Zorn. Mm. And then the next generation, there should have been a, another bunch of people. Cause you know, I'm talking like 10 years uh, age difference, but there really wasn't. And Derek mm. first sort of like, like took, took me under his wing and was very kind to me. And then Henry being in the States, he decided he was going to look after me and, and he did. And he still does to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as Mr. Zorn later on. But Henry was in charge of, he had done uh, maybe one or two of Mr. Herzog's films before, but he, Mr. I forget if it was Mr. Herzog's idea or Henry's idea to have Richard Thompson do the music for Grizzly Man. Mm. And, uh, and basically they just needed, they needed a bass player, a drummer, and then like a multi-instrumentalist. And it was, you know, obviously very low budget. And, and Henry, uh, got, you know, people that he used in the Bay area. And, but then Henry thought, oh, if, if I, if I tell Jim to come out here and we'll use the money that the, 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 the fee, which was, you know, very small because it was a small film that'll pay for his plane ticket to come out here and he'll probably do it for free, (laughs) which (laughs) was Henry was thinking. So Henry just called me up and said, you know, um, you know, do you want to play on this Herzog soundtrack? Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, just tell me when and where. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I just went out there and I think we only recorded for like two or three days. Yeah. And then, and then during it, during, a, there was a Hammond organ there with a Leslie and uh, during lunch breaks or dinner breaks or whatever, I decided to instead just take opportunity to play the Hammond because you know you know it's not something you get oh, you know a chance to very often and yeah the first or second time I was doing it Herzog runs in from the break room going start recording <laughs> and and that ended up he ended up using that as the soundtrack for his next movie <laughs> wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That he is, said, "Oh, is it, is it, he was like, this is no good for this movie, but it's perfect for the next one." <laughs> wow, I love that. I love, I love, I love, I, and you kind of always get that sense because there's that moment in Grizzly Bear as well where he's talking about like just kind of like sort of like he's always kind of capturing something that is already like something else, you know, like he's yeah. filming something and then something else kind of steps in and, and stuff like that. And I, yeah. I love that that your music sort of became part of that that story of yeah Herzog. yeah and he, on the same sessions i remember henry is also a like a like one of the top uh underwater photographers for uh for uh arctic regions mm. like he is it the south no, it's the north pole that people go to right i uh, do you know what i'm really bad with my i, I my think it's the north pole but yeah. he's been uh like mccurdo i think the place is called he's been going up there as part of the science community for like 20 years so at the same sessions he was showing mr herzog footage he had shot underneath the north pole uh a few months earlier and herzog while he's watching it's like he i just got footage of uh of private 16 millimeter film shot inside one of the spaceships from the 70s from one of the astronauts Wow. And on the spot, Herzog decided he was going to take Henry's footage and the astronaut's footage and make a film, and that became Wild Blue Yonder. Mm. Uh, I think the – which might have been the film that he used the music on, the, the the organ music, but I'm not sure. But like – so Mr. Herzog already had two films – his next two films like – started from the recording session of the film he was working on <laughs> and he actually made wow. them he actually made them <laughs> yeah and it's wild blue amazing. yonder and i forget what the name of the next one is but i'm uh, trying to think of that from that sort of that was about 10 years ago right wasn't it um, no actually actually longer wow. now it would be that was around 15 that was about 
God, that was almost 20 years ago now. My gosh, time has flown, hasn't it? That's, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, my, my mind map of, um, yeah, the way he kind of jumps between sorts of fiction and, and, and documentary, I kind mm. of get a little bit blurred on the timeline of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did, was there was there a lot of improvisation involved in that soundtrack? Not, I mean, a bit. I mean, Mr. Herzog was like kind of like, talk you know which was of course a pleasure to listen to you know (laughs) and give sort of not musical ideas but just talk about like what was happening in the scene and and then basically mr thompson would 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 and and him talking to henry they would sort of uh put together and you know there was there was improvisation in the sense that nobody's part was written down Mm. and uh but you know mr thompson was like the guide and there were some there was sometimes when it was there were times when it was just two people then i would then that would be like i think there was one thing i think there's even a video of it in the documentary about the making of the soundtrack mm. where mr thompson and i are doing a duet and that was basically like mr thompson was going to play and i just do what I want to do. But when it was the four of us, Mr. Thompson was more like, sort of like, okay, it's going to be this kind of structure. But, you know, it was, nothing was like completely, there was no, nothing written out, but it was like Mr. Thompson guiding it from, from Mr. Herzog's words. And sometimes Mr. Herzog would come in and like say, no, no, no. Or like, you know, I don't want any electric guitar on that or things like that. You know, but he was great. He was, he was great. He was never, it was never sort of like, uh, dictatorial or anything i mean he was he was amazing <laughs> as you could guess wow he was amazing. I, I know i tell i think he, he's just such a kind of um mythical figure in a way isn't he that it's uh um you know it's, oh, it's yeah. always people everyone has their sort of own interpretation of of imagining what he's going to be like <laughs> He's really great. He's really funny. Yeah, you know, he's really, really he's he was really kind and really funny. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He was great. It was two of the best days of my life. It really was. It was that's amazing. Lo- that's lovely to hear. And he that. and he and he called me a few times afterwards. Mm. I couldn't believe that. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> getting oh, call, getting a phone call from Hurt Werner Herzog. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because me, me living here in Germany, I've, I've got, I mean, obviously Bavaria is a very different region from Berlin, but um, there's yeah, a sort yeah. of, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a sort of, I just love the sort of, and it's dangerous to sort of make a kind of a general statement, but I just love the dry, there's a dry humor that not everyone understands to sure, sure, Germans. Sure. But one, once you get it, it just makes life so much more pleasant. You just go, oh, okay, yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, the, that one film of his, God, I'm, I'm horrible, I'm blanking on the name, the film about the sand paintings, which came oh, out ca- maybe about 15 years of, ago. It's caverns of... Um, no, not the cav- not the, the right. cave paintings, but the uh, like the mm. Tibetan sand painting. Like oh, where they, I, I don't know that one. Yeah, it's, uh, they make these giant paintings using pebbles of colored sand, mm. and then when it's done, they just wipe it away. It's from about 15 years ago, but his narration in that one is especially funny. But I remember seeing it at a, a movie theater in New York. And you could, I mean, it's like five people in the audience were getting that it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, when, when you're actually working with film, um, I think it's kind of like, I think to a lot of people that don't, know really what goes into film scoring myself included here um we have this kind of idea of maybe like the composer or the musicians working against um a screen showing what's going on you know that might be a very naive assumption well, to there, make. i mean i mean yeah i mean there's a lot of that i mean now it's of course on a computer screen and there's mm-hmm. like a little window you know in your upper right corner you know <laughs> showing the, the the stuff um i mean that's a that's a fair you know it's a fair way to think of how it's done i mean uh, i've never worked on a film where it was really a film score you know i've Mm. I've never worked on a film big enough where it's actually you know like you know spending time to write the score and then recording the score to picture and all that stuff i mean all the films that i've worked on have been extremely small budget so it's basically me 
recording all the parts myself at home, you know, with, you know, in the pro tools with the picture. Mm. Uh, so I've never really, I mean, I've done music for films, but I don't think I've ever done a film score mm. in that, in that sense. And also because they're very small films, you know, it's usually a very small period of time. And especially with Japanese films, the music is the last thing they do. Uh, so you usually have a week to do the entire film. Uh, so I mean, with like in the case of the films from Mr. Herzog, I, I didn't really do, I, I was just a musician, you know, mm. uh, um, I, gosh, I'm trying to think of the American. Yeah. Most of them it's, it's I've, so I've never really gotten to have the experience of really doing a, a prop, you know, a, a real film score. Yeah. Um, um, in the sense that, you know, you have the time to actually develop the ideas and, and maybe go through one or two <laughs> different ideas because there just isn't the time on, on small budget films like that. Um, so, I mean, one, the last film score I did was for, and the film hasn't come out yet. Uh, just because of the situation in the past two years, or, or it seems like two mm. years by now. I it actually, does seem like it, yeah. I actually did have a lot of time, but even in that case, I, I'm playing everything myself. You know, I'm not mm. writing for other people to play. So it's, it is a different way of working, mm. uh, like real, real film scoring, which I haven't had a chance to do. That's a, it's a really different way of working. I mean, a lot of film scores not, now are done the like the way I'm describing. It's really just one or two people doing all the stuff themselves. Yeah, and also, but also because I'm sort of not not a hermit, but it's like I'm not having meetings with the directors and stuff. I'm just sending a, an email back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So it isn't. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't truly get the to the to the level of of how most films are in terms of the music, how they're put together. But, uh, but that image of like, you know, playing to the screen or, or, or to the images, I mean, I think everyone does that. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think there's been like sort of like independently writing music and then presenting it. I don't think that's happened mm. since probably the mid seventies, probably, you know? And I imagine it's, it's, it's kind of, I guess like, you know, the way you're talking about like if a thing be more things being done in a home studio way, that's, I mean, that, that's say that's similar to just general production anyway, as well, isn't it? In the last 10 or 15 years. The, the well, I mean, definitely in the last 10 years, almost any mm. kind of music making has, has become that and mm. and will be as and has ra more and more rapidly become that i mean to the point now where the software is telling you what chords to play <laughs> you know people are just getting like yeah. chord, chord packs and things like that <laughs> and just sort of just sort of you know sc scrolling through like oh that that sounds good put that in there <laughs> you know <they're, laughs> do you do you think that there's a way to be creative with that or do you think that that's like a death of creativity Mm, I, I, I sort of have a mm, creativity is a difficult word for me because mm. I think it's, it's, I think trying to be creative is, is foolish and a waste of time because it's going to happen anyway. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen mm. and it's going to happen anyway, whether you try to do it or not. I think if you try to be creative, you're, you're, yeah, I, I don't. I think you've got to get out of the way, you know? <laughs> okay, so do you think it's like a contrived thing to talk about? Oh, I don't think, I don't, well, I mean, to talk about it, I think, mm. I think, not contrived, because that has a lot of baggage. It's more, um, I mean, all those things, like expressing yourself, and all, I, I think it's you're tripping yourself up by talking about the, about not about talking about, but concerning yourself with the process right like you know it's it's you know i mean a joke i always would make the friends like if you want to express yourself call your mother 
You know, it's going to happen whether you want it. You're going to be expressed in what you do, whether you want to or not. Mm. Because it, it, I mean, you made it. <laughs> and there are elements of you there, whether you want, if you want to go back and then analyze, like, why did I do this? That's fine. That has not, that's mm. not expression. That's, that's study and, and learning, you know, that's different. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm completely in favor of studying and learning, but when you do it, don't concern yourself, whether you're expressing something or whether you're being creative because that's that's really besides the point because you're making it that's what you're doing <laughs> right right it's like, it's, i mean that, that's that's what, you know, it's, it's it's i mean on the opposite side of that coin but really the same thing like i can't stand when someone like makes a record and then says produced by themselves you know like this you know the band makes a record <laughs> and, and says produced by the band mm-hmm. you can't produce yourself <laughs> How, how, you you, you, you don't wake up in the morning and argue with yourself in the mirror about whether you know, oh, I see. that's that's, yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not producing. Mm. It's talking. It's using words and talking when you don't have to. <laughs> okay, so a, lo- a lot of a lot of hot air. Yeah, not well. Again, I don't want to say hot air because that, that implies a sort of like looking down at it, and I, and I right. don't mean it that way. Okay. I just it's it's really just it's. It it happens. It happens. You, I mean, I don't mean in a sense like oh, amazing things flow out of you. Just the idea of thinking about like I'm going to try to be creative. It's like well, the act of doing something means you're being creative. You know, so you don't have to try. You just have to do it. <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, working yourself up before a, 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 a baseball game or something. You know, it's like you study, <laughs> you study, you try things out. You don't worry if it's a failure because you learn something despite it being a failure. You both learn something on the way to making that failure and you learned why you think it's a failure. So you've learned something yeah. that's, be- that's, that's, that's being creative too. The idea of being creative or expressing yourself or uh, – to me, that's all – really all nonsense. It feel, really is. Do you feel like – because, I mean, I think um, – do you feel like that, 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 that comes – the way you're talking about it, which I really love, sort of – it comes from, in a way, I feel like a real trust in yourself. Because I think a lot of people I know I've done myself kind of overanalyze and then maybe we are we go into this loop of kind of going, okay, I'm going to be creative now, rather than maybe trusting the uh, the experience, whatever kind of experience that is, or like equipment I have or the setup or or the fact that like I've been doing something for a certain amount of time that it just will happen. Um do you do you feel pretty? Sorry, I'm kind of waffling on that point. <laughs> but no, you, it's it's not it's not that I feel confident in myself at all. It's hmm. it's it's because I have no problem throwing things away. Okay, I mean ninety nine. I'd say like ninety five more of things I've done, I've just thrown away or put on a hard drive and put it in a box. And I have no problem with doing that at all. Mm. So it's not like I, uh, I mean, if, uh, I, <laughs> I'm usually not very complimentary to myself at all. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I generally am disappointed with m- most of what I do, but I've got no problem with that. Mm. I mean, I, I, uh, I know people who are like fine with letting people hear things that they think are, yeah, yes, it's all right. I mean, that drives me nuts. If I was like that, that, that would be terrible. No, I just, I have no problem with, with saying, nope, that's, uh, well, yeah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got no problem with that, which is un- have- a part of the, part of the reason where I, why I do a, most of my stuff by myself mm. because when i involve someone else there is an obligation because they've put work into it you know uh okay yeah and, and and it's not fair to them so i generally try to do everything by myself i mean when i'm doing pr- things with other people when it's not my may i make a distinction between what i'm what i do and things i do with other people 
then mm. that's that's I have to I can't I can't take that stance because I don't have that right. You know, I can't say, okay, this work we made together, nothing's going to happen with it because I don't feel good about it. You know, <laughs> I don't have yeah. that. I don't have that right, so I don't do that. Uh, but when it comes to making my own things, I have no problem throwing away a year's worth of work. It doesn't doesn't bother me in the least. Do you ever have things that you maybe abandoned that that kind of haunt you years later? There's a couple things. There's a couple things. I mean, one thing. Uh, one thing that recently came out was I worked on for maybe 10 or 12 years. So, but it finally got to the point where it was like, okay, I'm, I finally got to the point where I thought it was, it, it became what it was going to be. Mm. So, uh, but, but it took about 10, 10, 12 years to get there. And there's a, there's a handful of things I did put like two years worth it work into and just never could record. Cause it, it did would involve an enormous amount of people mm. and a lot of money. So I never did it, but uh, that's okay. The visitor <laughs> was kind of a long process, wasn't it? That was about three years. Mm. But I mean, that was, that was also because of that. I was playing all the instruments myself and I had just moved to Japan and I had a, I had very little, uh, stuff to work like equipment to work with. Cause I had sold all the stuff when I left the States mm. and, and also because I couldn't, I was, I was in Tokyo and you can't be making noise 24 hours a day. Yeah. I mean, I lived, you know, so there was really only, you know, to record like the trombone parts, I would have to wait until the old lady next door went out to, to do her groceries and stuff. <laughs> you know, so things had, yeah. things had to be more on the schedule than usual. Mm. <laughs> um, and was there like, um, um, in terms of the kind of sound around you and, and sort of natural ambience, you, you sort of mentioned earlier about moving out of the city. Um, and when you, when you first arrived in Tokyo, um, how was the sort of, the sound around you and and the visual language around you how how did that have an impact on you mm, i don't think it really did actually i mean cuz it was i mean by the time i moved here it i i had been here maybe 35 or 40 times wow and it spent like if i added it up like probably a couple years in japan before i moved mm. here so uh Yeah, I don't, I, I, in general, my surroundings and my interactions with people don't really, uh, actively influence what I do. Mm. Um, I tend, I, I tend to do 10, most, most of what I do comes from out of my head, not from out of my, uh, life, really. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, it didn't, I mean, not having to, I mean, the like for six or seven years before I moved to Japan, I was basically living on a work roller coaster, mm. and uh, and basically not being able to do anything of my own for a long because because of the work that I was doing, I wasn't able to decide my own schedule. My, I my me being involved in that work involved 10 20 other people's schedules you know and, mm. and when there was work i you know i couldn't just say i don't want to do it because that that was work for 20 other people as well um so coming out of that probably getting getting out of that situation probably affected me more than anything else um and when i first moved to japan i think the first two years also i didn't i was just really just spending my time studying japanese and i don't and bec and also at first I didn't have a visa, so I definitely mm. wasn't like working as a musician in Japan because I didn't want to risk getting a visa. So if if anything, it was the the moving to Japan and getting out of that kind of work situation that that helped move me towards uh, that to that. But it wasn't necessarily Japan in and of itself. I mean, if I had moved to somewhere else, the and it 
got out of that situation and then moved somewhere else, the same thing probably would have happened. Yeah. And, and, and would, you, would you say you're fluent um, as a Japanese now? I was more fluent two years. Uh, before I moved to the mountains, I was more fluent because I would have to speak Japanese every day. Mm. Uh, and now I pretty the only person I really talk to every day is my girlfriend, mm. and and she knows all my shorthand Japanese. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she knows my she knows she she knows what I'm gonna say like halfway through I'm saying it. So so just that's just out of practice, you know, just the just like muscle memory. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I only speak English once or twice a month usually and how deep is that with you does it so did you have to um do you have to kind of switch back into english or is that just something that's just obviously inherently deeply in you now there's it, it uh definitely when i was lifting in tokyo it was harder because i was talking a lot you know uh, because i i would have to meet people and talk and things like that and then it was harder because i was definitely more <clears throat> Uh, it was it was like you know, more like more ninety nine percent Japanese one percent English and when mm. I would have to switch, it would take like a minute or two for me to get the the the, the I would, I think even now friends say when I write mails they can they can they you know, th- there's things that are just not, I my English has changed, since before. It's just the syntax, you know, <clears throat> it, it you know. Just you know, if you learn German, you know your your syntax changes and uh, and uh, it re- rewires uh, the way you think. Yeah, I mean, my, my German's been a bit been a bit slow since lockdown because um, there's just less in- interaction with the real world, right. and you know, I kind of rely on having this kind of these exchanges. Um, to, to prompt me forward. Otherwise, it sort of kind of keeps me... It's just my own laziness, really, but it keeps it a bit hypothetical, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still I still tried to... I mean, until about two years ago, I was pretty adamant about still studying every single day. Because, mm. uh, you know, especially with Japanese, it's like, you know, once you get the syntax, which isn't actually that difficult, it's actually easier than English, especially with conjugating oh, verbs. Right. Oh, it's much easier than English. Especially conjugating verbs, mm. but the th- the thing is, you once you once you get the first thousand twelve hundred kanji, you can you can pretty much do anything unless you're talking something specific like to the plumber or something like that. Then right. then there's going to be you know because then there's going to be words you don't use every day. Mm. But basically, from that point, you've just got to keep plugging in new kanji, and you might only experience it once a month or something. But if you don't do that. It, there won't be a glimmer of memory, you know. So, at the moment, I haven't been as adamant as I should be, but mostly because I've been studying other stuff yeah. adamantly. So it's time time wise, it's been it's gone on low priority the last year or two. There's a there's a there's a bandwidth that we all have, isn't mm. there? Yeah, yeah. There's a. I'm sure I'm, it, it'll come back. I mean, not the Japanese. I mean, it'll, the 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 tenacity to study every day will come back. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you've got to combine it with looking after yourself and everything that you can fit in as well, haven't you? Um, yeah. Do you and what you mentioned earlier on about the kind of sort of the uh, the mindset of, of 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 being kind of proactive with with working. Um, do you find it natural to be in that mindset? I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I could just be if I could just work all day, uh, I'd be happy. I mean, I I would I need some time to watch a movie or two a day, but mm. I mean th- that's usually go uh, like folds back into work, but yeah, I I I I I'd be happy to just work all the time. Wow. It'd be great. I mean, I try as much as I can mm. to just work all the time. But yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Jim, I'm- um, 
Um, but thank you so, 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 so much. Unbelievably. Oh, much thank you. Thank you for even thinking of me. This, this, that's very, very kind of you. No, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, and thank you for, for being so open and, uh, ex- and generous in how you talked about, um, what we talked about, basically. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Nice one. Have have a okay. wonderful um, Friday evening. I guess I am. I'm about to dive into the new Adam Curtis movie. Oh, I've I've heard. I don't know anything about it, but I noticed today on my Twitter feed a lot of people. It's, it's, it sort of comes up a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's ten hours long. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to be a story about something. It'll be a story about something, definitely. And and this time tomorrow morning, you'll know what that story is. Yeah, I've actually been slowly translating hypernormalization <gasps> for the last mm. two years because my girlfriend Aiko, she, you know, she, it's, it's it's tough, you know, uh, yeah. because folks here don't speak English very much. I really want her to see something by adam curtis so i've been sort of translating that uh, that slowly i sh- but that one's four hours long so i still have that's a that's a yeah that's a yeah definitely <laughs> all right thank you i'll speak to you soon okay. thank you so much have a have a be, be safe i will do cheers okay, take have, care have a good have a good adam curtis bye-bye okay thanks bye bye so that is jim o'rourke speaking with me Back in February now, um, you can hear that interview, a short version of that interview in context of of a kind of a narrative uh, thematic kind of thing um, in the first episode of Seeing Sound, which is out now, uh, a co-production I made with Playtronica. Um, the, that episode also features the film director, Peter Strickland, whose films, Barbarian Sound Studio and In Fabric, Kathleen Varga. Oh my God. Yes. Kathleen Varga. Um, just really, really, really like one of my favorite directors. And it was a real honor to speak with him as well. But yes, thank you, Jim. Thank you for words of speaking there. Um, listening back editing today, like I think there was such a lesson that I feel like I need to grasp more about what he's saying about creativity and, and, and just do it. And, and I definitely am someone that does, um i definitely do myself kind of make quite a big deal about the fact that i'm going to be doing something creative um maybe as a sort of like a mantra because maybe i don't know maybe i just don't believe in what i'm doing enough maybe i just need a bit bit more confidence and and maybe i don't know i don't know what it is i don't know i'm no i'm not freud i'm not i'm not freud i'm not my own uh psychiatrist um i don't lie on my own couch actually i do i lie on my own couch a lot Uh, i lie on my own couch a lot more than i lie on other people's maybe that's where the problem starts um anyway i'm really talking shit um thank you jim um i'll be back next week i hope you are taking care i hope you're keeping safe i hope you're enjoying some sun i hope there is some sun where you are and i'll speak to you soon Thank you for listening. Lost and Sound is written and produced by me, Paul Hanford. Title music by ESO. 
And a big thanks to Kieran Yates in the UK for mastering the levels. And this episode is being hosted by Bear Radio. And you can check out other English language podcasts from Berlin by going on bearradio.org. And if you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave a comment. It really does help. And also, if you wish, you can help the production costs of Making Lost and Sound by buying me a digital coffee at coffee.com. There is a link in the socials. Take care and speak to you soon.